On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in a strain. Hello? Marker, is it? My name is Patrick Murphy. I'm on holiday in Australia. I've been out here now for about two and a half weeks, and it's a lovely place, but I've never seen so much rain. It rains here more than it does in Ireland. I understand most of the time it's in drought. When it's not in drought, it's flooding rains, yes, sir. <laughs> You've got a choice. You can have one or the other. I've heard so much about Australia. I was just saying to your sidekick lady, we're talking about money and just saying you need very deep pockets to survive today. It's probably just as bad in Australia as it is in Ireland. I, I, I was just so fascinated. I just happened to turn the radio on this morning, fiddling along the dial, came across your program, and I found it very, very interesting. And the people that come and ring you and that talk about so many different subjects, do you find that you're, you're in a shortness of, of your own knowledge? They're such interesting people in Australia. The thing that I find, you're a cosmopolitan country in Australia. Patrick, do you reckon we could get a gig in Ireland? Oh, I'm sure you could, Macker. I'm sure that people would love to have you there. Patrick, I've got to fly. Can my producer... Your sidekick. She's, she's pestering. She's having, a, she's, having, she's having a lend of you, is she? Yeah, she's pestering me again, again. <laughs> and Thank you very much for your time. Have a good day. Oh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs. They're writing books as Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. On you, Trev. Pinturac, T.I., Tumbarumba, at the lodge and Yarralumla. They might be listening to Macca on a Sunday morning. My week starts with Macca on a Sunday morning. And good morning to you, Jamel, too, in Cobar. And good morning to you, wherever you are. It's sort of surreal here this morning. It's our last program for a good while. And um, it's Christmas morning. What about Patrick? Do you hear what he said? He's probably, Patrick's back, probably back in Ireland. He might ring it. Probably be cold over there. You hear what he said, Kelly? He said, do you ever find yourself with a shortness of knowledge? <laughs> All the time, Patrick. All the time I find myself with a short, that's, the story of my life someday I'm going to write. Um, <coughs> the story of my life. Good morning and welcome, wherever you are. Lovely to have your company. Macker, I've been listening to you on and off since I was a small child, sharing, sharing the cabin of our old Fiat tractor. Is that an ad, Kel? I'm not sure. It's a Fiat tractor. Is that an ad, John? Um, with Dad. We'd take it in turns to get the gates because we didn't want to miss out on listening. I'm a man with my own children now, and I'm listening with the kids on a Sunday morning. It's great, and I think it's an important perspective for the children in this very big and ever-changing world and country. Keep it up, Macca, and thank you, says Ross. Ross, that's very lovely. Thank you very much um, for your kind thoughts. I don't know where Ross is on his Fiat, but there you go. Last year, says um, Bill... Bill O'Connor, last year I pedalled from Townsville to Broome to celebrate life. <laughs> to celebrate life and sore, sore legs, I'd say. To celebrate life and to convince any who listen that life is precious and cannot always be enjoyed, but everyone, everything needs a second chance. So if it sours at some point, give it your second or third or fourth chance. Suicide is the enemy of further chances, says Bill. Thank you, Bill. Um, we are west of Ballina, says Hillary, and we recently went to your show at Korokai, first time for us, and it was great. 
It was. It was lovely, lovely morning in Korokai, as was Rochi. Been living up here in West Ballina for almost three years now. We arrived just before COVID hit. A bit of COVID around too. See, the other thing, it'd be interesting to know what... Excuse me. It'd be interesting to know. I've just got to check my bits and pieces here. It'd be interesting to know what goes on, wouldn't it, in terms of COVID and... My neighbour, Jean, over the road, who made me a lovely sponge cake the other day. Um, beautiful. It's a thing of... Uh, a sponge cake is just a, a thing of beauty. It's just wonderful. It ranks up there with um, with cream horns. I used There used to be a cake shop, and I know these are trivial things, but it, it's just the things that make my day, actually. And there was a little shop in... Uh, where was it, Kel? West Guildford. Uh, a little shop that made cream horns, and they looked they were to die for. They were just the best. Mock cream, of course, proper mock cream. Um, not fresh cream, no, proper mock cream and lovely pastry. And I just loved them. And Jean's sponge cake was up there, but Jean's got COVID. A lot of people have got COVID. See, this, as the doctor said to us months and months and months ago, There'll be a new variant every, you know, five, six months. And that's that's true. And and we used to get all the, the death reports, didn't we, and how many people had died. You don't know now. I never hear. I suppose you can find it out somewhere. But um, And who knows what's happening in China because they've sort of opened the gates after being closed up and who knows what happen- what's happening anywhere. It's been a terrible time, hasn't it? But anyway, we're west from Ballina, as uh, I said, from Hillary, Hillary Greenup. Been living in West Ballina for almost three years now. We arrived just before COVID hit, formerly from the northern beaches of Sydney. One thing we've noticed, and uh, we know you lament the lack of little birds in big cities. Well, that's not the case up here. No, of course not. And we thought we'd bring you a little cheer. Even as I write, I can hear our resident, Willie Wagtail, carrying on in the background. And what an absolute, what an absolute joy it is. Uh, here it is. No, it's not. Here it is. No, that's... What's going on here? Just excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. It's Christmas and nothing's going to going to plan. Uh, there we go. Four. Five. We'll try it on five. Uh, so uh, Hillary continues. I've attached a recording, but I'm not sure how clear it will be. Perhaps you can use it in your bird song ex- excerpts. Well, we'll, tr- we'll try. Ah, uh, there he is. And she says, uh, this is my little ode to Willie. Just wanted to bring you a little Christmas cheer because the little Willie Wagtail is here. Next door to us, he's made his nest right here in Ballina West. Isn't that lovely? I love that. Every day he chirps and sings. Every day much happiness he brings. Every day at the break of dawn, all other birds he seeks to warn. He wakes us every day and all we want to do is is for him to stay in our yard there are lots of things for him to have a play every time he looks he's never far, we look he's never far away cheers from the green ups your little possum skew green ups uh our number's 1300 700 good day this is macca morning macca how are you this morning yeah good thank you it's uh chips here mate what are you up to chips what are you doing I'm just out here trucking along. I've got a full load of grapes on um, for... I come out of Emerald yesterday, um, going into the Brisbane markets. 
Wow. So, you, yeah, I suppose a big day. See, I would have thought most of the trucks would have closed down, but I suppose um, it starts again on Boxing Day, doesn't it, next week? And, yeah, everybody wants food, don't they, Chips? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I took a load up to uh, Longreach on um, – I left Brisbane on Friday, and I go up there and deliver groceries up there. Mm-hmm. And and then popped over to uh, Emerald and um, loaded out of LRT transport over there and um, got the grapes on for um, for the people down in Brisbane. How long have you been driving uh, uh, chips? Oh, probably about 30, 30 years, probably thirty five years. Uh huh. And how's life on the road at the moment? It's very. <laughs> when I left um, Emerald yesterday, yesterday late yesterday afternoon, um, I made it across to Julacker, but I reckon I only passed probably half a dozen cars. I think two trucks. That was it. Very very quiet it was. Yeah, and what are the roads like? Um, yes. Um, well, I'd like to say a few words about the roads, but I sort of can't <laughs> say that on radio. That <laughs> they're knackered. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that. Um, I think uh, what I was going to name this year the the year of the the year of the pothole. Really, I think that's what this year is. Um, when you look <laughs> and everywhere, and people, first thing a bloke said to me last week, I said, "How's things here?" Oh, the bloody roads, mate. Here, <laughs> oh, and there's nothing you can terrible. do about it. We've had all this rain event, and there's much more traffic now than there ever was. So you know, I don't know, mate. You know, really. Yes, I don't think um, they design them as as well as what they should do. That's just my opinion. Well, there's a lot of money. See, to build a road, building roads, um, like say freeways that you see everywhere, they cost a lot of money. And and country roads, you know, they it's just not the money to do it. Roads are the biggest input of infrastructure money uh, of anything. Yeah, so that's where you spend all your money, and you know, there's not enough money to go around. So that's why the Hello, Kieran. How are you, mate? Kieran's arrived. Uh, so that's the story, uh, uh, Chips. Yep. Yeah, it is. All right. It's unbelievable. Uh, uh, anything else to re- report? Uh, um, roads very quiet, dry conditions, a little bit overcast and cloudy, but, um, yeah, I'm just out here doing it. Those grapes sound nice, mate. Oh, they're absolutely beautiful, absolutely sweet as at the moment. Uh, there you go. They grow the, grown in emerald, right? Yeah, grown in Emerald, mate. They're nearly finished up there. I think they've got about another two or three weeks to go, I think, the boys. And um, they'll be uh, popping back down to Mildura and starting the season down there at down Mildura, Robinvale. Where's home for you, Chips? Uh, Brisbane, mate. Brisbane. Brisbane. All right, mate. Yeah. What are you driving? Uh, I've got um, a Kenworth. <laughs> a Kenny. A Kenny. All right, Chips. Yep. Good on you, mate. All right, Macca. Have mate. a lovely Christmas. Yeah. yeah, Merry Christmas to you, mate. Bye. Okay, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> G'day, this is Macca. Hey, uh, yeah. Uh, Carol, mate, how are you? Spud. Spud Carol, how, how are you, mate? Buddy? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Oh, man. Hey, Merry Christmas to uh, you and your listeners. I'm just driving. I left something at work and I'm driving home. I put 702 on. I went, oh, Macca's on. So just brought fond memories, um, especially with the passing of my dad uh, last year. Mate, just the memories of um, he used to love playing with you, mate. And I just want to miss, wish you the Merry, Merry Christmas. Marky, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark Spud Carroll. He's a footballer, played for Australia, played for New South Wales. He's a nice bloke. But when I was uh, younger and Mark Spud was a lot younger, I'd go and practice with his father because we played in a band together. And I'd go over there to um, um, 
Where were we? In Bradman Avenue right. there, in Greystones. Greystones. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and we'd start practising, and these two little tykes had come downstairs and start bashing drums and playing things and, <laughs> <laughs> and well, playing mate, along with us, and we had to get rid of them because they were just making a noise and enjoying I'm themselves. <laughs> You won't believe it then, Macca. I'm actually in a band now. Finally, at the age of 55, um, to your listeners out there, we've got a band called True Sports. Um, myself and uh, Eric Graves Sr. are in it. I've got uh, two cricketers, uh, Richard Cheekley and uh, Gavin Robinson. But the crazy thing is we're playing actually on the 29th of December next Thursday up at uh, Hardy's Bay. Rick Grosman, the bass player for the Gurus, is in our band. Wow. And also um, an amazing Steve Dalby, who's an Australian freak. Uh, mate, they all want to play in our band, Mac. Like, we get up there and we do a stage <laughs> event, we chat, we, and then we play We play about 20 songs, mate. I'll tell you now, um, I wish I did it earlier, man. I, <laughs> music is such a fantastic thing. I can see why you and Dad yeah. did it for so long, because... Um, Oh, mate, I, I, it's the best adrenaline I've had since playing rugby league, mate. And your dad would be real proud of you, I reckon, Mark. That'd, that'd be good. He'd say, he, <laughs> the, other yeah. sto- no. the, other, the other story he told me is, um, is that Mark played a lot of football and, you know, state of origin and stuff and, and um, or grand finals or whatever, finals, and uh, his dad, this is uh, Dave, would ring up. He'd just ring up the, on the Saturday morning or the Sunday whenever or the Wednesday night, whenever the yeah. match was on, and he'd ring up and he'd say, Get so and so, and then hang up in his ear. No, that's it. He'd, he'd give me a couple of people a bash, and then he'd hang up. Macker was just, uh, as you said, Dad never played rugby league, but he knew everything about it. But um, no, he was lucky enough to um, see me perform at Richmond um, at the Richmond Club last year, which was unreal, mate. I had tears in my eyes playing and singing a song. But the latest thing I've been doing, mate, I've actually, um, I don't know why I didn't take it up earlier. I'm actually learning the bass guitar. All right, and. Oh, mate, I absolutely love it. And the thing is with Dad, and a lot of people don't know, he, he used to be a right-hander, right? That's at, right, At yeah. the age of 21, he had a massive operation, and he taught himself how to play left-hand bass. Mate, I'm lucky to play it right-hand bass. Yeah. And I'm right-handed. So um, it was a phenomenon, mate. Now I'm playing the bass in memory of my dad, mate. I absolutely love it. Uh, I don't think I'll ever play in a band with it, but I'll tell you what, to sit downstairs and just pluck away, um, mate, what an instrument. Yeah, well, you, you you probably will. It's a great instrument. It's the in lots of ways. I think the bass is the is the guts of the band in lots of ways because you, it gives rhythm, but it also gives melody and takes the band and follows the chords. And so it's yeah. uh, it's it's great, Mark. Listen, I've got my guest this morning is a bloke called Kieran Kelly, who's who's a bit of an explorer and uh, he's uh, oh, wow. and whatever. And he travels around. He's a fitness. Uh, uh, freak, but he wants to ask you a question, mate. Um, Mark, yes. the thing I've always wanted to ask you, you're a, you're a brilliant footballer and I've just learnt you are a great musician, <laughs> but the, what you're not telling everyone is that you've inspired a generation of Australian males in how to be really, really well-dressed. I've seen you on TV <laughs> and you are, without doubt, the best-dressed ex-rugby league player really? in Australian history. And I just wanted to know... Did you get that from your dad? You're the only bloke I know that's game to wear a little flower in his lapel all yeah. the time and not feel embarrassed about it. Where'd yeah, that come one, from? One thing, now, one thing my dad did when I played rugby league was he, he said, "Mate, you got to go and you got to go and work." And I, I was always a salesman. If you know my dad, he sold real estate, so he could sell sand to the Arabs. They'd buy it, right? So 
<laughs> but he also said you've got to look sharp. Um, you know, you can't just go turn up back then in the uh, in the 90s. Yeah, you turn up with a short sleeve shirt. You've got to have long sleeve. It might be 40 degrees, but still wear a long sleeve. But <laughs> mate, when I got into the TV, everyone was wearing the same gear. And, and I, got, I got sort of, um, there was a guy down in Melbourne. He came up, he was an ex, uh, he's from New York. And his name is um, Homicide Williams. Um, Corey's name is. Anyway, he was all dressed up and going, man, this looks unreal. So I thought, mate, I'll wear board shorts every day at work and I'll dress up. So I'll put a tie on and then next thing someone got in contact with me about wearing pocket chiefs and now I've got flowers. And, mate, I just can't wait to put it on. It's like <laughs> when I go out now, people say, Spud, where's your jacket? And I'm going, bloody hell, let me wear a shirt. But, but uh, mate, but you, you used to be a rugby league icon. Now you're a style icon. Yes, you, a style, uh, a, fa- uh, a fashionista. <laughs> no, but one of my favourite things I say to a lot of my clients is, um, and it's the same. My dad always used, look good, feel good, smell good. Okay, so you look good, you get your hair done cut, you look good on TV, but you got to smell good. And, mate, I love aftershave. Absolutely, I, I drown myself in it, and there's nothing worse than when you come up against someone, especially in the gym game, when someone's got a bit of BO, mate. I go and spray them with uh, aftershaves, underarms, and I say, mate, look good, feel good, smell good. So if anyone's out there in the listeners, it feels good when you dress up. Um, but you know, that's quite, quite amazing you brought that up. Spuddy, uh, great to talk to you this morning. What I want to say, clothes maketh the man. My mum used to say to me, clothes maketh, you know, you've got to put on a, put your best foot forward because yeah. if, you, if you don't, someone else will best you. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to meet yeah, your, no. I want to meet your tailor. <laughs> no, well, things are, uh, uh, yeah, well, thing is, what's happened now, we're doing Fox, um, you know, everyone sort of takes the, uh, takes the, yeah, I was going to swear, but I won't swear anyway, they take it out here, so I'm down the camera, I'm down there, and down the line I will say MJ Bale, mate, now they look after me for suits, it's free advertising, they're idiots for asking me. <laughs> Mark, good on you mate, great to talk to you, we'll catch up sometime mate, and have a great Christmas with your home, say good day to yeah, your mum. All the best, mate, I really appreciate it mate. Good yeah, on you mate, do, see you, bye. See you, on the line is uh, our friend Steve. He's in uh, Wales. Good morning, Steve. Christmas to you and all your listeners, and uh, good luck to everyone in Australia. St- How St- are you? I'm good, mate. Steve, you wouldn't m- maybe know or maybe not know because my friend Steve is, amongst other things, is a very um, uh, good footballer. Um, but we just had Spud Carroll on. Oh, really? The great Mark Carroll. Yeah, yeah I have his well. He is. And he's I great. wish him and all the Rabbitohs supporters all the very best for the, <laughs> the new year. <laughs> Steve, what are you doing in... I know, in... That's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of pill for you St George supporters to swallow. Yeah. I realise that, but uh, anyway. Well, yeah, it sounds yeah. like St George is on the on the, the fracturing. and But anyway, that's another story. Um, Steve, what are you doing in Wales, mate? You're in Wales? We're catching up, yeah, we're here catching up with our daughter and our, our son's come over from Sydney to join us. We're having Christmas with her and uh, we're in a little village called Clanruin um, in North Wales, uh, maybe about 30 miles from Wrexham and uh, it's a very beautiful little spot. It's uh, I, I heard you reading someone's letter or, or communication saying that it was minus 14 or something, but here it's... Uh, it's a balmy six or seven degrees, I think, and uh, <laughs> uh, but very nice, uh, clear sky, beautiful stars in the sky, and uh, no white Christmas day, no snow here, I would imagine, in the next few days. Well, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it'll be a 
they predicted, well, they sort of predicted that it'll be a cold European uh, and they're worried about the Ukraine and getting power and all that sort of stuff. Is power a problem over there, have you noticed? Oh, no, no, no. Britain isn't going through the same problems that people in Eastern Europe are going through at the moment. The, the winters here, of course, are very different too. They're not as severe. They had snow in Britain uh, where we arrived a fortnight ago and there was snow in London a fortnight ago and in Wales, but that's sort of drifted away and the, the temperatures are relatively balmy here by comparison to Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah, there's no power problems here at all. There you go. So, Steve, you'll be there for a couple of weeks and just enjoying yourself. You often go to Wales, to uh, um, England. No, no, never been to Wales. No, we often used to go to England until COVID struck and we couldn't travel anymore. And uh, uh, this was our first trip to Wales. Our daughter uh, purchased the place here a few years ago just before the COVID outbreak or just at the beginning of it. And, uh, you know, it's quite an experience to be here. It's terrific. Yeah, yeah, we... uh, uh, it's great to catch up with family, and as I said, our son came over from Sydney to join us, so uh, it's nice to be all together again. Yeah, is is there any talk over there of COVID? Because, I mean, I know here there's another wave, and I know I've got a neighbour who's got COVID, and another lady I bumped into the other day got COVID, and we did a concert the other day uh, up at Richmond, and um, uh, just before it's the... Hardly a blip here. It's hardly a blip on the horizon here. I mean, I, the papers aren't reporting daily cases, and uh, no, it's they just don't... an accepted... They don't just do that here either. They don't it's do... Just, but, but, here, here, here there's a big issue with strikes in the National Health Service, so that's impacting, obviously, COVID patients and other patients as well, but uh, nobody's talking about, you know, major problems arising out of COVID infections at the moment here in, here in Britain. Uh, and, but, see, maybe it's a case of, look, don't mention the war. You know what I mean? We don't, don't yeah, talk about it because um, look, it's, it's not good for business, and it just seems to me that that's one of the, uh, the things about the whole, uh, the whole thing. We, as I said, we did a concert in Richmond last, last Monday, and two, four, two, two couples of about four, five people... Um, two couples, five people. I mean, that's un- isn't that bad? But there was a three and one. Very but strange. anyway, they came very, up and they a said, "Very strange configuration of couples." Yeah, say, yeah. But, anyway. but you know, I'm trying to but tell you're a the story. Man of attention, not <laughs> but they came and said, "Look, uh, Ian, um, we're going to give our tickets back to some people because there were people waiting trying to get in, but but because um, one wouldn't come because they were afraid of one couple, would, they were afraid of getting COVID, and the other didn't come because the husband had had, had some issues, so they thought they might get it. So. So it's around, and I don't know what it might be. It's uh, it's Australia, but but it's there and it's happening. And I know it's in nursing homes, and and maybe it's a case of you know I just sometimes think that look don't mention you know the old don't mention the war thing because you know uh, um, yeah it's like the old Mindermouse joke, but I won't It'll tell that one. But but um, it's there and, and it's around all the time. So we just but we get we want to get well, on with business it. and life and stuff, do we? Well, well, we came from London a few days ago, and in London, very few people are wearing masks in the underground, hmm. and uh, that's a measure. You know, if people were really worried about COVID at this point, you'd expect a lot more people wearing yeah. masks. Uh, there's nobody wearing masks in Northern Wales, I hasten to say. Like these are rural uh, communities, uh, long, long removed from you know the bus hustle and bustle of London, but. Uh, the, um, the you know the mask wearing is is, is uh, yeah. minimal, uh, so to the extent that people are worried about it, I, I doubt that it's um, something that's impacting upon people's lives. I think people are just getting on with it. I mean, don't forget the British had very severe lockdowns as we had, and uh, maybe more severe in some respects. And 
I just, well, I'm no expert, but I, I feel they're just over it. They just want to get on with their lives. Yeah, I think that's. I think risk. I think that's the story. Exactly right. The current variants of COVID aren't as dangerous either as the Delta. Uh, you know, the the Delta variant yeah. that sort of emerged very early in the piece. Exactly. Uh, um, so um, you know, it's uh, it's it's not a big problem really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I've been talking to Steve Norrish. Steve, when you get back, we'll get together with uh, Spud Carroll. Um, and <laughs> and well, we it'll can... be great, great to meet him again. Yeah, it'll be terrific. And to get Ron Coot along and uh, <laughs> and uh, some of the real great scouts. <laughs> and uh, uh, can I just say Merry Christmas to my mother, by the way, in Cogra, and uh, my sister in uh, yes, Beverly Park, That's and what... my father-in-law in. <laughs> in Burrell Lake and all, all my Get friends off. and relatives across the Commonwealth of Australia. And uh, good luck to you, Macca, and you and Lee and the whole family. I uh, hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And it's Christmas Eve here, of course. It's sort of 7.30, quarter to 8 on Christmas Eve night. So um, we haven't thrown struck Christmas yet here, but uh, anyway, we have you. What's the weather like? Uh, you give me a weather report. Yeah, well, it was, like? it was stinking hot yesterday, but we've got floods in uh, the Northern Territory. Cyclone Ellie's uh, struck there and there's dumped lots of lots wow. of, lots of of rain in the Territory, so there's flooding the Stuart Highway's cut. Uh, it was oh, very hot. Terrible. It was in the, in the high th- or mid, mid-30s yesterday after it's been really yeah. cool where we are and, and now we've got hot weather, so it's uh, it's beginning to look a lot terrible. like Christmas, as somebody said. Well, yeah. yes, yesterday, well, I had the poor people of I had the poor people of Yagara recovered. I got, I've got very close friends there. Our Greenhouse, the Greenhouse family, are institutions in uh, in uh, Yagara, and I felt so sorry for them with what impact had been a month ago. I had their recovering at least to have some sort of normal Christmas. Exactly. So wish everybody. Yeah, all the best. Sheets yeah. of water yeah. lying around all over New South Wales and certain parts of Victoria too, and down on the Murray, uh, you know, the water's gone past there. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's, yeah. it was yeah. ever thus in Australia, wasn't it? Around this time, good on you. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah, certainly was, mate. All the best, Mega. Good luck to everybody, and uh, uh, lovely to talk to you. Good Thanks, luck, Steve. Bye. Love to, love to leave. All the Bye. best. Bye. Bye. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News on Christmas Day and quickly to past Christmas days. In 1798, George Bass climbed Mount Wellington, also known as Kunyanyi, the 1,270-metre-high mountain just west of Hobart. doesn't say here in the Book of the Year why George Bass decided to climb it. I guess because it was there. In 1826, Major Edmund Lockyer landed with a party near what is now Albany in WA. He set up a garrison settlement and claimed all the western part of Australia for the British. In 1860, Birkenwills, who'd left Melbourne some four months before, had a day of rest for Christmas in 1860 near Grays Creek on the last stage of their journey across Australia. Wills described the place on Grays Creek as a delightful oasis in the desert with no ants, flies or mosquitoes to annoy them. And of course, as we mentioned last week, Cyclone Tracy hit Darwin this day in 1974 with winds of 217 kilometres an hour and more and it blew for five hours. 50 people were killed and another 16 lost at sea. As we also mentioned last week, this is the time of the year when weather events of all sorts, droughts, floods, bushfires, cyclones and of course tornadoes can hit at any time. From Richard Whittaker, 
New Year's Day 1947 started as a typical hot and humid Sydney summer day. Locals on the coast welcomed the eagerly anticipated afternoon northeast sea breeze, which brought some relief. Afternoon thunderstorms are not unusual for Sydney around this time of year. They usually begin with an increase in cloud, a type of formation called cumulus, over the Blue Mountains to the west of the city. Sometimes these develop into full-blown storms which move across the Sydney basin in the mid to late afternoon. So when cloud began to increase from the west during the late morning in 1947, it seemed that afternoon thunderstorms were again on the cards. However, there was something different in the way this storm was developing. At the time, the Bureau was located at Observatory Hill, near the southwest pylon of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. The official Bureau report noted, The first definite indication of cloud development at Sydney occurred towards 1300, that's one o'clock, when cumulus commenced to build in the west and southwest. By about two o'clock, this covered the southwest quadrant of the sky and appeared to be moving east, but keeping south of the city. The underpart of the cloud was mottled and serrated or curtained, rather than mammillated and looked angrily black, while false cirrus tufts were discernible at the top. This rather technical description of the cloud formation would have alerted meteorologists to the possibility that something big was about to happen. The cloud continued to increase across the city, becoming more and more menacing. The Bureau report continued. Shortly before the rain commenced at the Bureau of Meteorology, shallow cumulus was observed moving from the northeast below the main cloud structure, which was coming from the westward, and between this and the overlying cloud, considerable turbulence was apparent. At this time there was a terrific noise which appeared to come from the Harbour Bridge, as though several trains were passing over it. It was definitely not the sound of hail or rain to the south, and it is reasonable to assume its origin was in the cloud. Although the report doesn't comment further about the noise, it was probably caused by several successive bursts of thunder. Unbeknownst to the Bureau at this stage, the storm had already blasted a trail of wreckage across southwestern Sydney from Liverpool to the southern parts of the CBD. Billiard ball-sized hail sliced through rooftops, battered cars and injured pedestrians. However, the full fury of the storm finally broke as it crossed the eastern suburbs, dropping huge hailstones over Surrey Hills and the Rose Bay-Bondi area. Large holiday crowds swimming and sunbaking on Bondi Beach were caught in the open and pelted with hail as large as oranges. The Sydney Morning Herald quoted M.H. Lacey, a returned soldier who was sunbaking at Bondi Beach at the time. I thought I was back in the firing line overseas. When the hail began to fall, it rattled like a machine gun. People were lying on the ground and others were bleeding from arms and shoulders. 15-year-old Edna Menzies, the niece of the then leader of the opposition, the future Prime Minister, Mr R.G. Menzies, was knocked unconscious by a hailstone as large as a cricket ball while swimming at Clovelly. She was rescued, taken to hospital, remaining unconscious as she was loaded into the ambulance. People waiting for trains on Central Station ran for cover as hail punctured the platform roofs and they were showered with debris. The skylight running along the entire length of the old indoor area of the station was smashed and jagged pieces of glass up to four inches square fell amongst a crowd of about a hundred people. The clock face above the station was smashed, and the roof of nearby Crown Street Women's Hospital was badly damaged, terrifying both staff and patients, some of whom were in labour. The canvas roofs, or soft tops common to many cars in those days, were holed by the hail, injuring the drivers and passengers within. Eastern suburbs' tram windows were shattered by the ice, showering passengers with broken glass. The Sydney Morning Herald front-page banner headline the next day read, 
Ice storm lashes city and suburbs, and the story recounted a long list of injuries and damage. Some 350 people were treated by ambulance and hospitals as a result of hailstone impact and flying debris, particularly glass from broken windows. For nearly three hours, ambulance wagons travelled backwards and forwards from eastern suburbs' beaches with the injured, the Herald reported. Other victims were picked up in doorways bleeding from head wounds caused by lumps of ice and by flying glass from hundreds of broken windows. When it finally crossed the coastline and moved out to sea, the storm left behind widespread structural damage, many personal injuries and mounds of ice that remained intact for hours. Numerous trees, including large swathes of Centennial Park, were stripped of their leaves, producing a stink of rotting vegetation across the city. Sydney was staggered by the enormity of the incident, as there had not been even a remotely similar storm in living memory. Hundreds of houses had severely damaged roofs, and because it was only some 18 months after the end of World War II, there was a severe shortage of building materials. Consequently, some roofs were still covered by tarpaulins several years later, causing a steadily rising damage bill as they leaked during strong winds and rain. That was New Year's Day, 1947. This is the All Over News, and speaking of trucks and truck drivers and things delivered and everything gets delivered, especially now at Christmas, this from Phil, Phil and Jan McMillan. Phil says, Bezos is driving the move to autonomous trucks. Remember the bloke last week said there was hundreds of thousands of trucks delivering for Amazon. The algorithm is almost complete. They are trialling them now. There are 40 million truck drivers in the USA, 40 million truck drivers. Does that mean they're all... 40 million people out of a job. Technology is a two-edged sword. Nespa? This is the All Over News, and Christmas is a time for Christmas cards. I love them. Pam Cupper and Phil Taylor, our correspondents from Western Victoria, say, we went exploring for our definitive photograph to sum up our year, and they sent a lovely card with a beautiful photo on it. I'll try and put it up for you. Hard to believe our last two Christmas cards featured COVID. Now it's water. We thought of Lake Hindmarsh near Japarit. That's 55% filled. We usually drive across the lake bed. Lovely to see, but not photogenic. The alternative seemed to be road repairs. You know, like, who doesn't love a good shot of a pothole? <laughs> but they finally sent this photo, receding floodwaters in a paddock northwest of Horsham, Victoria, early in December 2022. And it's got the little Mallee gums in the distance and the fence sort of three-quarters covered with water and the railway line going past just raised up a little bit. Beautiful photo. Thank you, Pam. And speaking of which, she sent an email saying, the approach of Christmas, of course, brings back thought of special Christmases for us personally, but obviously for 1914 to 1918. We hear plenty about the famous 1914 Christmas truce when the two lines stood up and sang Silent Night. Brings tears to my eyes as I write this. There were, in fact, numerous informal truces throughout the war. The image of each side hating the enemy is often refuted. In particular, German soldiers of Saxon ethnicity often felt an affinity with their Anglo-Saxon enemies, so-called. It was the Saxons who initiated many of the festive truces of Christmas 1914. There are many reports of the live-and-let-live approach where Saxons were stationed opposite British forces. But I also remembered a story about Christmas 18, 1918. The war had just ended over six weeks earlier. Many Australians who had served on the Western Front spent the months after Armistice in France or Belgium, cleaning up, rebuilding, that sort of thing. I have a letter written by a local boy describing Christmas in France in 1918. 
Ern Newell was a Warwick Nabeel farm boy who enlisted in 1916 and served on the Western Front. He was in the Battle of Messines in June 1917 and at Passchendaele in October 1917. After the armistice, he returned to France with his unit. He wrote to his brother back home in Warwick Nabeel, Well, Fred, we had a pretty decent Christmas here, which I hope is the last one we celebrate over this side of the globe. The officers of this battalion all put in and bought toys and things and got up a bonza Christmas tree during the afternoon. Two of the officers distributed toys, etc. to every kid in the village, also chocolate and biscuits. The kiddies all seemed to enjoy themselves real well, and so did the older people. Ern Newell served over two years in France and Belgium, and his letters tell how he longed to see his family and farmland in Western Victoria. Early in 1919, he wrote wistfully of having three or four nephews and nieces to see when I come home. He completed an official form stating he was a farmer, but was prepared to train in other occupations so long as it's in the country. While on board ship returning to his loved ones, just out of Colombo, Ern died of acute appendicitis and was buried at sea on the 6th of June, 1919. Merry Christmas, Pam Cupper, Phil Taylor. That's what I was doing yesterday and the day before, gathering Christmas bush. I love, I love it. I'll tell you a story about it from Roger Oxley, who was our correspondent on botanical things. He says, I thought it's appropriate to talk about Christmas bush, Ian. Like most common plant names, the term Christmas bush refers to various kinds of plants in different regions and states. In the Sydney area, it's a small tree growing naturally in infertile soils of forest areas and gullies. Its flowers are a creamy colour, but the parts surrounding the flower give it a pink-red colour that makes it so attractive. This particular plant is interesting because it's a remnant from a period some 50 million years ago when rainforests extended across southern Australia, and it's one of the few plants to have adapted and survived to the low-fertility sandy soils around Sydney. The Victorian Christmas bush is related to the mint bushes and is more of a shrub than a tree. In summer, it has masses of snowy white flowers and can be found along creek banks, in moist gullies near Melbourne and the Dandenongs. Young saplings of this shrub are highly prized by small boys for making fishing rods. Do any kids make their own fishing rods anymore? I'm not sure. The South Australian Christmas bush is yet another species called by this common name. It's a densely branched shrub or small tree, quite spiny and has numerous creamy flowers during summer. This Christmas bush grows in almost all parts of the state but is more common in the southeast of South Australia, especially in association with Mallee. If you live in the west, then you have the Western Australian Christmas tree. It's a shrub or small tree growing to about seven metres with numerous attractive orange and yellow flowers during summer and it's found growing on well-drained soils from the Murchison River right around to the Bight. The tree is parasitic on the roots of other plants and is related to the mistletoe. Mistletoe and kisses are just as synonymous with Christmas as are roast turkeys and plum puddings. That's what it says. Hello, Macca. Hello. 
Hello, it's Sister Robin McNamara from Gilgandra. Oh, Sister Robin, I haven't spoken if you're right. It seems like a year, no. probably is. Sister Robin, how are you, mate? I'm, I'm going well, but I just want to wish you, Macca, and all your listeners and your family a very happy and joy-filled Christmas. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And how's things uh, in Gilgandra? It's very hot at the moment, yeah. but that's that's it. We haven't had much heat this summer. No. But I I just want to let you know, Macca, that next year I'll be moving from Gilgandra to live in Bathurst, in a little unit in Bathurst. Oh, well. I'm very sad about leaving these beautiful people here in Gilgandra, but that's life, I guess. So when do you when do you go next year? Sometime do you? Yes, uh, the fifteenth of January. Oh dear! So um, I mean, and, I'm packing uh, up now and crying all the time. Oh, don't do that. Um, so <laughs> the yeah. So and what happens to the um the convent? I don't know, Macca, because we haven't got enough sisters to come and live here anymore. We've got a few young ones, but they're all in Sydney. Mm. But um. I just don't know. The, we don't own the house. The house belongs to the people in the parish. Mm. So no doubt they'll put somebody here. In Molong, when the sisters moved out of the convent, they've got a, a family from Ukraine living there now. Oh, wow. There you go. So yeah. um, that, that could happen. Mm. We don't know. Well, um, we'll probably see you in Bathurst then, Sister Rob. Please, please, God, yes, I'm sure you will. And, yeah. and you've, you can very, you're very welcome to come and have a cup of tea at my little unit. All right, we'll do that for sure. Um, okay. Um, and we'll get up to Gilgandra again sometime. But, yeah, we'll see you in Bathurst, mate. And um, what, are you do, what, are you do, what are you doing today? I'm going out to some friends for Christmas dinner. Mm. And um, a friend of mine gave me a, a Christmas pudding, so I've made some heavy brandy sauce to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll then by the time we have that, we'll all want to go and have a nana nap. Yeah, <laughs> sleep it off. <laughs> exactly. All right. Good on your sister, Rob. Great to talk okay. to you. We sh- we've, I've, okay. le- I've left it too long. We should have talked to you before, but anyway, we'll we'll see you in the new year for sure. We will. We will. Thank you, and thank you for all the um, good people that listen to you, and mm. um, you spread the good news all around the world. Thanks very much, Sister Rob. Merry Christmas. Okay. Have a lovely Christmas yourself and all your family too. Thanks, Tom. Bye. And all your listeners. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Sister Bye Rob. now. Bye. Jim's west of Canamble. Morning, Jim. Good morning, Macca. Yeah, we had, had had a big storm yesterday afternoon, about 2.30, 30, 35 mils here on this property. Oh, right. West of- and, and I'll have to be forgiven because I had intended to go to 6 o'clock mass, but... Uh, I had Buckley's chance of getting the nine kilometres from the homestead to the bitumen, yeah. so I'm uh, I'm still here. <laughs> Didn't get there next week. Yeah, you got um, yeah, it gets muddy and you'll get bogged, won't you? Oh, mate, you you just don't move. Mm. You just you just stay put where you are. But um, but they these people here, um, they're uh, they got all the crop off <clears throat> about um, two weeks ago. Mm. It was all finished. Which is, was wonderful, but I went to Dubbo the other day, and there was still a power of wheat to be uh, harvested between Canamble and uh, Dubbo. And that's because what? It's just drying out now. Oh yes, it. Yeah, the, just couldn't get on the paddocks. They yeah. had water, and then same near Walgett. I was, went to Walgett a few days earlier, and there were paddocks there with just water. Beautiful wheat, be a great stands of wheat. There was one area there probably about eight thousand hectares 
and um, it was um, it just had a base of water in it so whether they'll ever get that off i don't know about 40 k's this side of uh, walgut jimmy what do you do yeah i'm that farm sitter bloke we had a yarn a couple of yarns this year mm -hmm. i look after property for people when they want to have a break and get away yeah. and i'm here, here till the middle of january and then what do you but, do what do you do then oh well i'll there's another couple coming up it's fairly constant and uh and you like just, you, uh, you'll, you like that lifestyle sounds good yes well i grew up out here behind guy station in the ningan warren macquarie marshes area and then again at the nogalichi at wanaring and you 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 know what the the bush is all about yeah. and i've got i've got a skill that i can give back to people and uh, let them get away and uh, have a good uh, break well and yep that's the way mate jimmy yeah um, no it's good it's good but it's a beautiful morning now they're like i'm on the road here walking the dogs and there's water everywhere mm. but it's a beautiful the sun's come up we've actually had a a, a very heavy fog and it's just lifting now in this in this area but um but there's still a lot of wheat there's they're going to be harvesting wheat in the first week of february down south so uh, it's it's going to be unreal yeah they'll probably do it today although maybe they'll take today off but um they'll they'll be into it they'll be into it yeah when... oh well if anywhere got like from here down to dubbo now if they got the rain we got yesterday they they won't get near their paddocks till about next uh, Wednesday, mm. but, uh, which will make it uh, difficult again. But all the headers were, the, all the big headers were he moving down the uh, highway there the other day. Yeah, um, I'd and uh, so I'd love so to they, be love to be out there in the morning that you described. It's beautiful out there in the mornings, isn't it? And lovely to be well, outside yeah, the big I'm, cities. I'm, I'm standing here looking straight east, straight into the sun. I've got a couple of trees which are. Uh, there and it's just just a beautiful morning uh, particularly after that but um, your, your weather your rainfall uh, I was thinking back uh, 51 years ago on Friday since uh, Cyclone Althea hit uh, Townsville mm. oh, it, fortunately it didn't hit Townsville but it, it crossed the case between Townsville and Cardwell but we had uh, well 17 inches so that's 400 and <laughs> 400 and odd uh, millimetres there in uh, a few days after mm. and in one 24-hour period there was nearly just over 17 inches there you go and, and that's in the old scale so it's what's that 425 430 millimetres jimmy and, i wish uh, i was with you wesley canamble mate good on you nice to talk to you this morning good I, well merry christmas to everyone across australia mate thanks mate good on you Michael's in Salter Springs. Is that right, Michael? It is. Good morning, Mac. Merry Christmas. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Where's Salter Springs for the rest of us? Uh, sort of between, a bit of a triangle between the Barossa, Clare and Port Wakefield, you could say. 100 kilometres north Adelaide. And what are you up to? I'm just uh, heading out to spray some lentils this morning. Make the most of a mildish morning and uh, hopefully you, we can get into harvest. You've been hot there, haven't you? Well, we've been up and down. We had a bit, bit of heat, and then it rains, and then it gets hot again. So the old roller coaster that we get for most harvests, isn't it? So. And what are you harvesting, Michael? Uh, well, we've been harvesting wheat this week, and we uh, the silos all shut yesterday, so we filled the bins up and 
send everyone home and yep we'll just finish this spraying this morning and hopefully have the rest of the day off so what are you spraying uh lentils all right you know, the small lentils mostly exported to india and places like that so yeah so and is it going to be a good season in south australia where you are yeah that's uh we have an exceptional season um near on double double sort of average which is uh we keep saying it's once in a lifetime but We've had a couple of years in a row, but hopefully, hopefully it keeps going. So. Yeah, well, good, good. It's great to hear because not everybody's having a good season. But I think you know, in the scheme of things, considering what's happened and stuff, it's going to be all right. Western Australia is looking good, and South Australia, as you said, and, and parts of New South Wales and Victoria and Queensland were were okay. So yeah, we'll see how it Absolutely. goes. Absolutely, oh, we need it. Market prices. Um, you know, inputs are up a hundred percent from last year, and land prices are up, and diesel's up, and yeah, it's a bit of a funny world. But uh, we'll take it while we can, I think. So weather report for Salter Springs, mate. What's it look like? Eighteen degrees this morning. Little breeze off the north. It's a cracker. Beautiful sunrise. So <laughs> isn't um, that nice? Isn't that nice? We'll see you sometime, Michael. Good on you, mate. No worries, Maka. You have a good day. Thank see you, mate. Bye. See ya. Bye. Listen, the other day I was on the way to work. Um, was it Friday, Kel? I'm not sure when it was. Friday. And, you know, you, and I pulled up beside a car and a truck, a little ute, and he had a, a thing in the back, a little round. I didn't know what it was. So and he had his window down and I went me. I said, mate, what's that? He's on the line. Good morning. It's Renee. Is that right, Renee? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, good, mate. Um, and we uh, pulled up and I said, what's that? And he said, it's a sausage machine. Uh, tell us the story, Renee. Well, it was actually the motor to our sausage machine. It's a big emulsifier. Put the meat in and turn it on, spins it around 5,000 revolutions, and it chops the meat up to make the meat for sausages. And it comes out super fine, so we make our frankfurts and um, whatever else we do through it. And... Uh, and, it, it and, and it broke down. Kel Damage. ABC News. Sorry. Is you right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right. Kel, it it the, broke down so you couldn't make your sausages. The, mo- the motor burned out two weeks ago, believe it or not. Oh, not in two weeks. week before Christmas, it burned out. Um, I was lucky enough that I know a guy in Tarrant Point that I pulled the machine out. It was 400 kilos for the motor. Took it over, he rewound it, and I had it going one day before we had the break. It didn't really help us out because we lost a lot of production. But, um, yeah, it, it, lucky to some people you know that are very good in their job. Yeah. At least when we come back into the new year, we got it going again. And, so, uh, Ren- can start. Ren- Renee, who do you make your sausages and frankfurts and stuff for? Oh, we make it for all sorts of people. We don't really supply big major ones with, with our sausages. Um, but a lot of delicatessens, uh, food service guys like Andrew's Meats and people like that, um, they get a lot of our stuff, mainly frankfurts and stuff like that. It's not really raw sausage. Yeah. Uh, we make a rare roast beef, we make the stramis and bacon and, and leg hams, lots of leg hams, um, probably four or five different style of hams, uh, hand-rolled double smokes, which are all, all Australian meat. Um, yeah, it's, it's We have a multi multi-purpose style factory, which does a lot of things. We have probably 25 people working there. Wow. Um, when when they're 
all turning up and not sick or COVID or whatever you might have. Yeah. Renee, how long have you been in the business? You've been making this sort of, doing this? Brother and I have been in partners for 30 years now. This year was 30 years. And what sort, um, of, a, what sort of a year has it been? This year it yeah. hasn't been too bad. Started off a bit hard mm. um, coming back from COVID, but the, the end of the year ended up quite, quite good. It wasn't too bad at all. No. Um, hardest part is probably getting staff, staff that turns up. Um, stuff that turns then, up, yeah, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, and go on. sourcing sourcing meat to actually make the product that's probably be one of the hardest things as well because of the floods and everything else we've had. It's been very hard. Mm, I'll so say. we're we're in um, a process at the moment of making a new high protein dry meat article. I'll, I'll, when it's ready, I'll actually send you a couple of samples over to see what you think. <laughs> and um, yeah, see how we go there. I think it'll be a quite a good seller. Mm. But um, the market does move around on different things every year, and it, it is changing. Yeah, and I suppose well, you've got to keep up with it, haven't you? That's the the thing about being in business and things. Well, in everything, food. Look at look at the way food. Look at all the things that you never heard of when you're growing up, like chai and kyle or kale or whatever it is. Kale, yeah, all, all that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. You'd never heard of it before, you know. Now people, well, you know, can't live without it. And, and even so, home ready meals, you know. When I was young, you'd say you go to the supermarket and buy a pre prepared meal. You'd say, no, no way in the world. Who would want to go to the supermarket and buy a pre-prepared meal? Now, it's one of the biggest sellers in the in the supermarket is a pre-prepared meal. Yeah. Go in, buy it, chuck it in the microwave, thanks very much. Yeah. You know, the days are gone where the, the, the housewife does all that type of stuff or whoever it may be, you know what I mean? And being in business like you are, the thing is that you've got to have contacts, haven't you? You're like your mate in Tarrant, your mate in Tarrant Point who can fix something. Yep. You just yep. need to. That's what being in business is all about, isn't it? Oh, exactly right. Yeah. Well, I've got the mate in Tarrant Point. I've got another uh, Timeware engineering who helped us with all the knife shafts and everything else. And if you don't have these contacts, you, you're sitting on, you know, waiting for a repairman to turn up who might turn up that might say, oh, I'll be ready in three or four weeks' time and things like that. So you have to have. Yeah. A good relationship with everyone, you yeah. know, not just the people you're buying your meat from. Yeah. It's everyone, the yeah. electricians, the engineers, the whole lot. The whole deal. Well, Rene, was yeah. like, what's the name of your company, Rene? RNS Danube Small Goods. And go. it's Burgermaster Small Goods, Buyers and Black Forest. Renee, nice to do. It was nice to meet you. Pull up beside you at the. I often do that. Thank you the very much. And talk to people. But it's nice to. Good luck, mate. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you very much. You too. Yeah, bye. Dr. Ross is on the line from Bathurst. Good morning, Dr. Ross. Good morning, Marka, and Merry Christmas to yeah, you. Same to you, mate. Same to you. And thanks for your help this year in lots of ways, mate. Pleasure. A pleasure. What's happening um, in Bathurst, mate? Well, Bathurst is nice and quiet this morning. Um, done a quick round, of the DNA round, and we've uh, set out the animals, and we're just about to sit down to a family breakfast, if you like. Yeah, I was, I was interested because... I got out a bit the other day. We did a concert in Bathurst. You came to one of our in Richmond. You came to one of those, didn't you, some years ago? Yep. Um, yep. Years and ago. I met some people who had COVID or didn't want to come to the concert because their husband had had issues and things like that. And the, my friend's uh, got COVID, and another lady's got COVID uh, that I met. So it's still around, isn't it, Doctor Ross? But we just ignore oh. it now. We don't get those reports anymore of deaths and things like that, do we? No, unfortunately, we don't. I mean, we're we're still struggling with it medically, and um, unfortunately, the economics has taken over from community. Yeah, I think that's that's the pity of the COVID 
uh, epidemic finishing is that we all assume that it's gone away, whereas in reality, there are still people suffering with it and uh, it is still a potentially fatal disease. And I think uh, if I had a message for this coming year is that we need to start to look after each other in community. And if you suspect you've got COVID or if you've got COVID, for heaven's sake, stay home, don't spread it any further. Um, let people know that you are a risk so that they can avoid contact with you until it has settled down. Um, and I think it, the sad thing about COVID has been not only the disease itself, but its effect on the community. People have become more and more insular. People have become more and more, more me orientated. And I think that's the detriment. You were talking just there to Renee about the fact that we all need contacts, that we all need somebody we know that can do this particular task or other. We're losing those contacts. We're losing a sense of community. And that to me is a shame. Well, exactly. I think that's very well spoken. Uh, see, uh, I spoke to Steve. Uh, he's a mate of mine. In, he's on holidays in uh, in Wales. And I just asked him what it was like in London. And he said, oh, nobody cares here. Nobody's wearing masks. But the reality is, and the people who see the reality are you in hospitals and, and nurses and and. And it's not changed for three years. I mean, as I said, I was in hospital two years ago or something, and, and I and I couldn't believe it. You know, everyone's walking around in PP and getting dressed and getting washed, and and that's just a complete pain in the ass, really. Um, and that it's all right for a couple of weeks, but it's been going on for years. And it will continue for years, unfortunately, if we're going to finally work out what it is that will vaccinate the community and make the community immune without any side effects to this terrible virus. Yeah, the, the, uh, as I said, the um, uh, a lot of people didn't come, or some people didn't come to the concert because uh, they just came and gave their tickets back and said, because my husband's a bit worried about getting it. And that's and that's fair enough. And the other one didn't come because they, they had COVID, said we can't come. And that's that's the attitude you've got to take into it. But, but it's a bit like, you know, don't mention the war. You know, we, it's... You know, as my dad would say, art for art's sake and money for Christ's sake. Um, it's business before health, it seems to me. Um, but, you know, but the uh, the downside of it is, is what you say is is people are isolating themselves just deliberately and, and, and I suppose with good reason. I've got friends who just don't see anyone anymore and they stay in their garden and that's it. They don't go out because they're afraid of getting it. And I think we miss out on a lot not being a community and not being a, and orientating ourselves to an economy rather than a than a society, mm. um, and I think it will be to our detriment in five, ten years' time, when the generation of young people, children, and and adolescents who've grown up with this two or three year hiatus in their social contacts, and uh, we're noticing it a lot in the surgery uh, when the younger people come in, their ability to relate to others is not what it used to be. Hmm. Uh, all interesting things. We just have uh, more hills to climb, don't we, as a, as a, as a community? And um, things of the last three years have been certainly, um, you know, what with all the all the things like floods and droughts and bushfires. On top of that, it's been been tough. But I suppose we'll get by it. But uh, yeah, it'll take some navigating, Doctor Ross. Yeah, but I I would reiterate that one of the glowing examples of what can be done as far as creating community is actually your program. The fact that people, um, you know, if, if I talk on the program, during the week, it's amazing the number of people 
he'll turn up and say, oh, I heard you on such and such, or we on Macca on Sunday, etc., like that. There are people out there in droves listening to the program who use this as a form of communication. They feel part of a community, and I think the Australia all over community is a, a vibrant and strong one, and uh, I commend you for that. Dr. Ross, I, uh, thank you very much for your uh, company this year, and uh, words of wisdom too. I, I love you. I played it earlier this morning. I, um, or I played it later, but your bit where you said, um, yeah, I'm going to play it a little later, but your little piece about, um, I said, how's things at Christmas? He said, oh, good, yes, yeah, everything. So you get your disease in before the 25th, and uh, we'll, we'll fix it up. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the great lines, mate. It's, it's one of the great lines. So stay tuned at 9 o'clock, and uh, we'll, I'll replay it after the news, okay? <laughs> Thanks so very much. Good on you, Dr. All the best to you and to Kel. Good on you, mate. The Fire at Ross's Farm by Henry Lawson. The squatter saw his pastures wide decrease as one by one the farmers moving to the west selected on his run. Selectors took the water up and all the black soil round. The best grassland the squatter had was spoilt by Ross's ground. Now many schemes to shift old Ross had racked the squatter's brains. But Sandy had the stubborn blood of Scotland in his veins. He held the land and fenced it in. He cleared and ploughed the soil. And year by year a richer crop repaid him for his toil. Between the homes for many years the devil left his tracks. The squatter pounded Ross's stock and Sandy pounded blacks. A well upon the lower run was filled with earth and logs and black laid baits around the farm to poison Ross's dogs. It was, indeed, a deadly feud of class and creed and race. But yet there was a Romeo and a Juliet in the case, and more than once across the flats beneath the Southern Cross, young Robert Black was seen to ride with pretty Jenny Ross. One Christmas time, when months of drought had parched the western creeks, the bushfires started in the north and travelled south for weeks. At night along the riverside the scene was grand and strange. The hill fires looked like lighted streets of cities in the range. The cattle tracks between the trees were like long dusky aisles, and on a sudden breeze the fire would sweep along for miles. Like sounds of distant musketry it crackled through the brakes, and all the flat of silver grass it hissed like angry snakes. It leapt across the flowing streams and raced the pastures broad, It climbed the trees, it lit the boughs, and through the scrubs it roared. The bees fell stifled in the smoke, or perished in their hives, and with the stock the kangaroos went flying for their lives. The sun had set on Christmas Eve, when through the scrublands wide, young Robert Black came riding home as only natives ride. He galloped to the homestead door and gave the first alarm. The fire is past the granite spur and close to Ross's farm. Now, father, send the men at once. They won't be wanted here. Poor Ross's wheat is all he has to pull him through the year. Then let it burn, the squatter said. I'd like to see it done. I'd bless the fire if it would clear the selectors from the run. Go, if you will, the squatter said. You shall not take the men. Go out and join your precious friends. But don't come here again. I won't come back, young Robert cried and reckless in his ire, he sharply turned his horse's head and galloped towards the fire. And there, for three long weary hours, half blind with smoke and heat, old Ross and Robert fought the flames that neared the ripened wheat. The farmer's hand was nerved by fears of danger and of loss, 
and Robert fought the stubborn foe for the love of Jenny Ross. But Serpent liked the curves and lines slipped past them and between until they reached the boundary where the old coach road had been. The track is now our only hope. There we must stand, cried Ross. For naught on earth can stop the fire if once it gets across. Then came a cruel gust of wind, and with a fiendish rush, the flames leapt o'er the narrow path and lit the fence of brush. The crop must burn, the farmer cried. We cannot save it now. And down upon the blackened ground he dashed the ragged bough. But wildly, in a rush of hope, his heart began to beat, for all the crackling fire he heard, the sound of horses' feet. Here's help at last, young Robert cried, and even as he spoke the squatter, with a dozen men, came racing through the smoke. Down on the ground the stockmen jumped and bared each brawny arm. They tore green branches from the trees and fought for Ross's farm. And when, before the gallant band the beaten flames gave way, two grimy hands in friendship joined. And it was Christmas Day. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.